Turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we'll read verses 34 through 38. The longer you preach, the more inadequate you feel. In dealing with the text, I believe there's no more important text for this generation of Christians than this one right here. I want to be extremely brief simply because I hope tonight the Holy Spirit does what Adam Thompson simply cannot do in driving this into the hearts and minds of every person here, the principles that were taught to the disciples. Verse 34 says, When he had called the people to him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's read that verse all together in unison. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The Bible says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Christ's call to commitment, whosoever, the cross reference text, the sister text says, if... Any man come after me. The question is, how many will actually read the fine print? How many of you ever seen a product come with something we call terms and conditions? Yes. Let me ask you this: How many have ever actually taken the time to read the terms and conditions? How many of you simply look at it, sign your name, and hope there's nothing there? that leaves you legally liable to do something you don't want to do or pay for something you don't want to pay for. We're not preoccupied with the fine print. This is the fine print of discipleship. Three phrases, let him deny himself. Now we talk about denying ourselves. We're not talking about living as a monk in a monastery. We were in Alta Gracia, Argentina for several years and they had a, a small cathedral up the mountains and people do a pilgrimage, make a pilgrimage from the city of Cordoba about uh, 40 miles away. And they would literally travel all night when they got up to that uh, cathedral and there were uh, glass and stones and bottle caps that were turned upside down and they would kneel on their knees and crawl up hoping to cut themselves and leave a bloody trail to the Virgin Mary thinking that would help them in their prayers. And that's, that's not what the Bible is talking about when it says deny yourself. Any self-denial that's not with the purpose of pleasing God is in vain. Deny yourself. This is opposite of what modern-day Christianity teaches their congregations. God is about you. God is about pleasing you. God is about meeting your needs. No, uh, Christ is going to filter out his followers very quickly by saying these three phrases, starting with deny yourself. This is not a theme preached enough in our pulpits. Deny. Let this 
person that wants to follow me deny himself? How many church members come to church and say, don't make me deny anything, especially not myself? And God said, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, it all starts with self-denial. You know why most Christians never reach true spiritual maturity? They don't want to start with the first step of discipleship. Young people, deny yourself. Here's what American culture has taught you. Feed yourself. Pamper yourself. Do everything you can for you. Protect yourself. Make sure you're number one. Make sure everyone around you knows you're number one. Fight to stay number one. And Christ said, deny yourself. We can't deny ourselves at a dinner table. You know why there's not more prayer going on in Christian circles? It takes self-denial. When was the last time you got down on your knees? Now, if you're over 40, prayer on your knees is self-denial. We don't have enough self-denial to stay faithful to church. Faithful to God's house, faithful to witness, faithful to keep ourselves in this book. Let him do what? Deny himself. And do what? Take up his cross. Take up your cross. Now, we've cheapened the cross and the understanding of the cross because constantly we're hearing this, that's just my cross to bear. If you didn't choose it, it's not a cross. A cross is not a body ache. A cross is not a bulging disc. A cross is not a pulled hammy. A cross is not a cross wife. A cross is not a harassing mother-in-law. A cross is not a flat tire. Or a horrific boss. Or a poor paying job. Or a leaky roof. I don't know how many times over the course of my ministry I've heard people talk about their cross. Never in the context of Scripture. This is a generation that puts a cross on everything. Put crosses on necklaces and bracelets and t-shirts and tattoos. Uh, there was no one in the Roman age that was tattooing on their body a cross or wearing a necklace or a t-shirt with a cross because they were too familiar with the meaning of a cross, which was agony and suffering uh, and this was placed upon people with the purpose of watching them slowly die. And Christ said, knowing what the cross means, take up your cross. This is complete identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, we have a, such a weakened brand of Christianity in the United States of America. The thought of hardship, the thought of suffering. We live in the day and age of luxury and excess. That's all we've ever known. That's all my generation has ever known. We talk about poverty, but nothing like the poverty that I've seen traveling around the world. But even that's a distant memory. And for those that are under the age of 35, they've never known anything except excess. So for them to have anything but luxury or excess is a cross. 
Young people, if the Lord tarries, you'll soon come to understand the meaning of a cross. Persecution is just around the corner. They're making this quickly a hate crime. And let, let me tell you, young people, the, the Word of God guarantees for the Christian, for those that embrace the cross, it guarantees persecution. So the, the way to avoid persecution, if you don't like the thought of it, is to simply run from the cross. But, but Christ says, if any man will follow me, whosoever will come after me, let him run to the cross. Let him deny himself. Let him understand what Paul said. Why was Paul so, we, we, we hold him up in such high standard and we constantly brag about what he accomplished for Christ's sake, for the gospel's sake, for his name's sake. But that's a man that truly embraced the cross. And as a result, all of Asia heard. The, he evangelized 30% of the known world alone because he embraced the cross. Why aren't we evangelizing the known world? Because we don't seek to embrace the cross. What did Paul say? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yea, not I. But Christ liveth in me in a life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, who went to the cross and gave himself for me. Young people, this is not today's Christianity. This, this is so distant from the concept. I'm not talking about the non-denominational world. I'm not talking about those that claim the name of Christ. I'm talking about the committed, the sold out, the dedicated, the extremist. If you identify today with this book, you know, we're trying to maintain an invisible Christianity because to be visible means to embrace the cross. So when we go to the grocery store, let's keep our Christianity invisible. In our neighborhood, let's keep our Christianity invisible. In our workplace, let's keep our Christianity invisible. Because we know the world thinks less and less. I remember growing up in small town Colorado when my dad would tell people that he was a preacher. There was still a level of respect for a man that was called a pastor or a reverend or a priest. In this day and age, there is, I, I know pastors that won't even tell anybody they're a pastor simply because of the reaction of people. To anybody that claims to stand on the Word of God, and that reaction is only going to get more and more vile and hate-filled. If you stand up, here's what they want you to do. They want you to turn your brain off and act as stupid as they're acting. And this craziness is so extended, now they don't know what to do because they have men competing in women's sports, and they're speechless because the stupidity is on the platform on a national or worldwide level for people to see. It's in your chromosomes. I don't care how many surgeries you have or how many pills you take. God put it in your DNA, male or female. But they want you to turn off your brain and pretend to be as stupid as they are. And if you vocalize the word of God in the beginning, God made male and 
female. If you just read the word of God, you're a hater, you're a bigot. And young people, let me tell you the bad news. We somehow think the persecution will be for a noble cause and there'll be some level of nobility in our suffering. No, you can forget that. There'll be no nobility. You'll be a homophobe, a hater, a male chauvinist, antiquated, out of date, a revolutionary. We're living in a day and age... Where, where you think they're going to come and say, well, you can't preach the word of God. No, they're going to make you as someone who's standing against forward progress in a society that's become enlightened. Now, people, I know tonight is a message that's going to make average independent Baptists uncomfortable. Our world has gotten so wicked and wild He's trying to reprogram the brain. Everything that was normal for thousands of years has become abnormal. You can't invent the craziness of this generation. Now, we're not talking about just being normal. We're talking about gluing yourself to the Word of God in kindness, in love. But in order to step forward as a Christian, you're going to have to do what? Deny yourself and... Now, this is the separation, the point of separation. Because most people, when there's no persecution, listen, up until this very moment in our generation living in the United States of America, we know absolutely nothing of persecution. Nothing. I mentioned yesterday in so winning. I can't imagine getting to heaven and meeting and greeting Paul. So, Adam, what did you suffer for the cause of Christ? There were times in Mexico when I ate tamales, jalapenos, carnitas, 11 o'clock at night and about 2 o'clock in the morning. That acid reflux so gripped me, I felt like I was going to die, Paul, for the sake of the gospel. Anything else you suffered? Not really. Now, the thought of suffering has silenced us. You know why we haven't reached awesome with the gospel of Christ? Not because we don't have enough Christians, because we don't have enough Christianity. We don't have enough willing to embrace the cross and say, I want to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the reaction is of people. It doesn't matter the look. They're not going to throw me in jail. Not yet. They're not going to beat me. Here's what our young people, they're running from anything that might be considered a cross because they've been taught a philosophy in Christianity that says God is all about you. God is about making you smile, but God is about making you happy. And if there's anything in Christianity that makes you unhappy, run from it. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not New Testament Christianity. That's not Christ Christianity. He said, deny yourself and... Take up your cross so you don't have to turn. Let's put some of these up on the screen, Brother Devin. If you've got that handy, 2 Timothy 3, 12 says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? It's a guarantee. There's no might there. There's no if there. If, well, Pastor, I don't want to suffer persecution. Live ungodly. 
That's your choice. But biblical Christianity says, I'm going to live in a form that is godly. We've got enough ungodliness. Now, once again, folks, I'm not talking about other denominations. I'm talking about born-again children of God that call themselves Baptist, doing everything they can to avoid denying themselves and taking up their cross. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says this. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed. Have we ever taught that to our kids? Blessed. For righteousness sake, persecuted. Some of your children have been persecuted, but for unrighteousness sake. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That actually hasn't even happened to American Christians yet. And the thought of someone reviling us simply silences us. If, if I said something more to my family or I said something more to my co-worker, if I said something more to my neighbor, I would be reviled. So I just avoid the conversation to avoid being reviled. Rejoice. Young people, you're not supposed to rejoice over a UT victory. There's no Bible command to do that. You're not supposed to rejoice because Dallas Cowboys have a chance to make the playoffs and get beat 45 to zero again in the playoffs. <laughs> Supposed to rejoice and be ex, ex, exceeding glad? When's the last time you were exceeding glad? Yes, sir. Magnum chocolate bar makes some of them exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven when you're exceeding glad because of persecution, reviling, and people saying all manner of evil against you falsely. These texts go unpreached untaught simply because they go contrary to modern-day Christianity. Go to 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, think it not a strange thing concerning the fire trial, which is to try you. We would think it a strange thing in America because we haven't faced any fiery trial. Anybody here want to tell me about testify of their fiery trial? Now, we are reaching a point some will lose their jobs. Some will lose their homes. Some will lose their church buildings. Some will in my lifetime if the Lord tarries. But we shouldn't think it's strange because that's been happening around the world for 2,000 years. Rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's suffering that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also once again exceeding joy. Now, can anybody here tell me in modern-day Christianity what brings exceeding joy? To to the average Christian, a new car with a seven-year payment plan. A 30-year note at 5.5% interest, which means they'll pay three to four times the true value of that home by the time they pay it off. That brings exceeding joy. $2,400 monthly payment. But suffering for his name is what should bring us exceeding joy, according to the scripture. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory of God rested upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified when you're suffering persecution. 
Go to John 15, verse 19. The Bible says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world what? Now, church, when he said this, remember the context of what we've been studying, Mark chapter 8 and chapter 9. Here's a real issue. Peter's philosophy is the philosophy of the modern-day church in the United States of America. Christ, Luke chapter 5, comes to Peter. He's been out fishing all night. They've caught nothing. He says, follow me. And before he does, he tells Peter, launch out to the deep, let down your nets for a draught. And what's Peter's response? We've done that. We've caught nothing. It's useless. He said, doesn't matter. Drop the nets. And what's Peter thinking? You're not a fisherman. You don't catch fish this time of day. We've already washed the nets. It's time to rest, not to work. Nevertheless, what does he say? Thy word. What happens? They catch so many fish that they almost sink their boat and they call other boats to their rescue. The Bible says the nets break and God kept fish in broken nets. That just doesn't happen. There were so many miracles you can't count them on this text. Peter realizes that. So when he begins to follow Christ, his eyes are stargazing. He's looking at all the good. I mean, his mother almost dies. It's all going good. <laughs> Everything is going well. <laughs> Watching the dead raised to life and miracles happen. And it's amazing to watch. Now, you, go, you fast forward three years into Christ's ministry. You come to Matthew 16, and what do you say? Christ begins to explain to them, I'm going to Calvary, I'm going to die, I'm going to the cross. And what's Peter's response? He coils back. He steps back. He stops the Savior. He puts his hand to his mouth and says, don't even speak of those things. Because in his mind, Christ means life is good. Blessings are coming. He'll deliver me from all hurt, all harm, all physical pain. And as soon as that was introduced, as soon as a cross was introduced, he coiled back in fear. He, he stepped back. He literally stopped and corrected the Savior in his comments. And Peter, to embrace the cross, had to be confronted. You know what today's Christianity needs? A confrontation. Now, this is a serious confrontation. If someone looks you in the eyes and rebukes you by calling you Satan, has your dad ever done that? Never called you Satan? I bet your mom has. Yeah. That's a serious confrontation. He says, now, can you imagine, can you imagine if anyone in your life came to you with these words, thou art an offense to me. This is Jesus Christ. Look at Peter in the eye and said, you, you offend me, Satan. Now, look at the wording, Satan, get thee behind me. If you just were addressed by the word Satan, you're going to be offended. Get thee behind me. That, that's offensive. Thou art an offense unto me. That's offensive. Thou, what? Savorous, not the things that be of God. What is the context of all of this? The cross, embracing the cross. He's going to finalize this chapter and finalize 
this teaching by saying, deny yourself and take up your cross. That means you're going to have to make a decision. It, it starts with the desire. There has to be desire in your heart to carry the cross. But there has to be determination. I'm, I'm going to take this cross and follow through with it. And our, our generation, without a cross, without a cross, they're running from our Christian schools. They're running from church. They're running from the environment. Why? Because if there's any thought of a cross around the corner, it, we're tricking people into salvation. We leave out hell. We leave out repentance. And just, just, just everybody stand up and say, Jesus, save me. Let, let me ask you something. Why, why do you think we have so-called followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the first sign of headache, trouble, persecution, they're gone. You could clear out the average church with a single sermon. Now, church, let me ask you this. Things are not going to get easier. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. But at some point, listen, Christians have suffered around the world because their politics and their present state found in that country demands as soon as they choose Christ they're going to have to make a decision and for some of them it's still prison or rape or the burning down of a house or the loss of a job or hatred from their family and here in America if you trust Christ there's no pushback and yet we have to say, trust God, please trust God. You don't want to spend eternity in heaven. You don't want streets of gold. You don't want eternal life. What's wrong with you? Stop begging them. Amen. At some point, they're going to have to come under a Holy Spirit Amen. conviction Amen. and make a choice, heaven or hell. Yes. That's right. But at the end of the day, after you've made the choice, you've got to choose again. Be invisible or be visible. And he said, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Do what? Deny Let's say that all together. Deny himself. Let's make this a little personal all together. Let's say deny myself. It's a little more personal because you can point your finger at someone else sitting beside you and say deny yourself. Your cross is not your stubbed big toe. It's not a physical pain. Your cross is being identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and saying that's going to cost me something in my work. It's going to cost me something that it, we have young men that are going out into the world, a woke world. In order to reach their full earning potential, they're going to have to choose because a cross today, today means you won't ever reach your full earning potential. Because at some point, you can't participate in what that company is demanding you participate in because the higher you go, the greater the demands. And those parties are going to involve things you can no longer disinvolve yourself in. And you're going to say, I can be making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year but instead, I'm going to have to be satisfied with 150. Oh, that'd be so terrible. <laughs> Might have to deny yourself. May have to drive a Toyota instead of a BMW. Say, Pastor, you're trying to be sarcastic. I'm not trying. I'm succeeding. 
Deny yourself and do what? Take up your cross. Let me ask you this. What would happen to Capital City if we just got the church members to take these first two steps and... Church, we have deep-rooted a love of money. Got to have more. Got to make more. Got to put more in my retirement. I've got... What about the value of my house was taking place in the last... I'm shocked that Christians... I'm not shocked when it happens around the world, but Cap City, I'm a little shocked when we're watching the news this closely to see where the value of everything we own is sitting at. Making comparisons. and uh, what, oh, to, i got to figure out what my net worth is supposed to be at 40, 35, 28. When's the last time you thought something spiritually? What's your spiritual value? When's the last time you spent a day considering everything in the light of eternity? And you woke up and you said, in view of eternity today, this is where I'm going to spend my time and energy. In light of what's going to last forever, for Christ's sake, for his name's sake, what, what, what is supposed to be our motivating factor according to Scripture? His name's sake, the gospel's sake, Christ's sake. So I'll deny myself, I'll take my cross, and I'll follow him. You know, the follow him is too broad. Because we think if we park our rear in church three times a week, we're following him. I remember in Mexico City, there are times I had to get with the missionary and say, follow me. Easier said than done. Anybody ever been through Mexico City traffic? And then they forget you're supposed to be following them. You just ran a red light. I can't. You didn't run it orange. You ran it red. There was already cross traffic coming and you... And Christ says, follow me. That some of you need to just take a mental note there and put closely. Amen. When he stops, you stop. Where he turns, you turn. Where he goes, you go. Now, church, this is not today's Christianity. And it's going to be revealed here real soon. In the United States of America, things are changing rapidly drastically and at some point there's going to be a revelation of your implementation of these three principles can you deny yourself can you i would start the spiritual training now have you ever embraced the cross now here's what peter did there's a revelation it's amazing that he denied himself and he followed christ but he didn't get the middle command. Embrace the cross. So what happened? Three years into following Christ, and he keeps denying. Don't talk about the cross. What are you talking about? You're not, you're not going to Calvary. He, Christ, after his rebuke, takes him up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and when he comes down, Peter still hasn't gotten the cross. And he listened to the conversation between Moses, Elijah, and Christ, about its crucifixion. You know why? He's in denial about the cross, any kind of suffering. And this is all supposed to be about me and reigning and who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
And that's why when there was pressure applied and the Lord was arrested, yeah, what happened to Peter? I told you blankety, blankety, blank. I don't know the man. How could that happen? Deny yourself and taking up your cross means you identify with him no matter what the cost. You do realize that other Christians in this generation are still giving their life for him and our cross-rejection is so great that a track, track wrecks are full. I mean, to pick up a track and take it out and hand it to someone is too great of a spiritual demand. Peter didn't even take up his cross until Christ had been crucified, risen again. And he comes out, and there's Peter trying to recover from a time of denial, and everybody else knows that he's denied Christ, and he's dealing with the fallout and the shame, and he's fishing again. And then he sits through the embarrassment of another confrontation. Now, this was done in love. But when Christ looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? There was not a doubt about his love. There wasn't a doubt about his love. You can love something or someone without being willing to give your life for them. Peter, do you love me? We've got to go deeper than that. Peter, I'm going to ascend into heaven. And I'm leaving you in a city full of hatred towards me and my followers. And Peter, if you're about to carry on the ministry of the church in Jerusalem... They're going to hate you. They're going to jail you. They're going to revile you. They're going to cut off heads. But Peter, I want to make this personal. When I say take up your cross, I mean literally they're going to put you on a cross. Christ told him that in John 21. He said, Peter, when you were young, you put things on your shoulders and you carried them around with us wherever you wanted to go. But one of these days they're going to throw something on your back you're not going to like so well. This spake he of the death that he should die. Now, young people, let me ask you this. What if Christ were to look you in the eye and say, follow me? Yes, Lord. Now, let me tell you about your future. You live for me. They're going to nail you to a cross upside down. Are you still standing in line? You understand how feeble our Christianity is? Folks, this is not my teaching. I would never broach this subject. I would never go there. I would never spend five minutes on the subject. I'm like the UFC wrestler. If I got in there and, and he looked at me wrong and flexed his biceps and act like he's going to put me in a headlock, I'd just lay down and tap out. You know what we have Christians doing as soon as the world looks at them cross-eyed and it looks like they're going to put them in a headlock, a spiritual headlock, they tap out. Now, young people, the invitation 2,000 years later is still the same. Deny yourself, take up his cross, and follow him. Can we have a little more serious invitation tonight? We don't need anybody flooding the altar. I don't, I don't, I'm thankful for all of you that come, and I'm thankful for all of you now listen to the Holy Spirit of God. Days are changing. Times are changing. Opposition is changing. Laws are changing. I don't know on what level 
during the course of our life, we'll face opposition. I just know living for God in a visible manner is only going to get more difficult. And if you can't do it when it's not difficult, you won't do it when it gets more difficult. Unless you've made a decision, I will deny myself, I'll take up my cross, and I'll follow him. 